This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Yeah, let me start with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your, I thank you for the poetry that you give us in, in the Psalms. And I know as a native English speaker, it is uh, near impossible for me to appreciate the element of that in the Hebrew language, but I, but it is just a blessing to know that you communicate, Lord, in in these variety of ways. You you want to express the beauty and the glory and the wonder of who you are in narrative and in poetry and in and in wisdom. And there's so many ways that we can come to you and appreciate what you've communicated to us, Lord. So I pray this morning as we hear uh, the cry of David as we hear the echoes and pointers towards our Lord Jesus Christ as we think about what it means to orient our lives around our Lord and our God. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and I pray that you would draw us up to have a deeper sense of you. And as we see you, we would respond in worship. Help us with that this morning, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. I'm always kind of Excited when we get to the summer because we get to go through the Psalms. Um, yeah, they're just, not only for a preacher, I like that they're just like contained. You know, I think I was telling someone, if you preach a chapter in Isaiah, you have to know a lot about the book of Isaiah to understand the chapter. Um, I don't have to have every 150 Psalms thoroughly processed to to consider one of these Psalms. So I kind of like how each of these little units stand by themselves and we get a chance to kind of go through these emotional experiences from the psalmist, uh, whether it's high points of praise, whether it's uh, pleading with the Lord for mercy, whether it's grand statements about the king. Uh, There's a whole variety of topics in the psalms and it's just fun to kind of every summer jump back into the psalms to consider how they point us and and shape and and give us uh, just sort of imagery of our Messiah, of Jesus Christ, and what we see him in the psalm book when we, when we walk through it. And so I, I look forward to that every summer, and so we're going to be doing that, you know, until um, May, I think. You know, so we're going to cover a few months of the psalms, uh, and I said May, August, through August. It's been, didn't sleep enough last night <laughs> for, for the months of the year. That's where we're at right now. Um, but I'm excited about this, and in Psalm 28, it just starts out and tells us, kind of it gives us a little bit of some context right here. It just says, of David, of David. And it was interesting, I read Second Samuel recently, when they're wrapping up David's life, when, when Samuel's wrapping up David's life and, and God is communicating to us his last words of David, it says, the sweet psalmist of Israel That's how our ESV translates this this phrase. David is the sweet psalmist of Israel. Like he's our, he is simultaneously the most awesome warrior, essentially, as he conquers the Philistines, defeats uh, Goliath, uh, brings the kingdom of Israel into this like, sort of more glorious state if after working through some of the mess of Judges, and so you have David as like this conquering king, but is also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. So I think that's like a neat contrast how he's both king and like poet. 
He, he is both mighty and a sweet psalmist. And, and I think even at the just kind of telling us a little bit about David, we, we, in, you know, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about him being the greater David. Like he's more a majestic king than David could ever imagine. But at the same time, he's also more sweet, more poetic, more beautiful. And he, he uses his scripture to communicate these feelings, these expressions to us so that you and I can kind of get an idea of what it feels like to follow the Lord. What, 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 what's the have as we pray, as we sing, as we worship? What, what is the emotions that kind of come out of us as, as believers who are united to this greater David, to Jesus himself? And so in this psalm, I think we're going to hit kind of two big points, and uh, but it's going to focus around this idea that God is at the center. We're going to focus of the, on this idea that God is at the center. And, I, and it's, you know, it's kind of one of those cliche things. You could, you could probably pick like any chapter in the Bible and be like, this is about God being at the center, you know? But, but I hope as we walk through this, we'll, we'll, we're going to kind of start with the first half. We're going to see how God is at the center of our life and of our actions, how God is at the center of our life and our actions. And then we're going uh, and then we're going to look at the second half and we'll and we'll kind of answer the question why. So we'll start with God is at the center. God is at the center of our life and our actions. And David as he communicates a psalm to us, Jesus as he fulfills all the most beautiful parts of this psalm uh, in his person and his work is showing us that God is at the center of our life and of our actions. Look at what he says in the first couple of verses. He says, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest you be silent to me. There's, a, there's sort of like this escalation that's being communicated here. Lord, I'm calling out to you. I, I'm, I, I, I'm proclaiming the things that are on my mind to you, Lord. I'm, please, as I do that, hear, hear me out. Hear what I have to say. He says, lest if you be silent, I become like you go down to the pit. It's not, like it's like death. If you're not going to communicate your presence, your person, your words to me, it's like I have no life. It's a very kind of weighty way to start the psalm. He's communicating as he calls out to God, as he pleads with him to like hear what he's saying, that God is the center of what it means to be alive. Because if God does not respond to him, if God does not get, call, hear him, uh, come towards him, listen to saying, he says, I become like those who go down to the pit. Everything about my life is worthless if the Lord doesn't respond to my request for help. Amen. God has to be at the center of his life. Or he, or he has no life. I think it's, 
fascinating. When we cry out to God and plead with him to respond to us, to help us, to draw near to us, to comfort us, whatever thing that we don't, we'll kind of work through a little, some, some, some hints at what he's crying out to God for as we work through the psalm. But as we cry out to God for something and we, and we recognize that we need him for, for life itself, if we think about it for a second, we recognize that God doesn't actually owe us any of that. Like I'm a, I'm a created being that's so insignificant compared to the holiness, the majesty, the glory of God. My, if, for a, if for a second I'm even asking for his help, how many minutes prior in that day was I not even considering him at all? Like who am I to come to God and ask him for help? Who am I to come to the creator of the universe and say, Lord, listen to me, please, or I will have nothing. And the answer is I'm, I'm not. I'm like, I'm not, there's no reason why God would want to orient himself towards me. In fact, because of sin, he should be pushing me away. He shouldn't be in the presence of something as unclean as me. And I think that David recognizes this and, and it's kind of, he tell, look at this next line. Cry to you for help when I lift my hands up towards your most holy sanctuary. And if you're in the ESV, it's got a little footnote there. Um, your innermost sanctuary. As I cry to you for help, Lord, and I, I orient my thoughts and my mind towards the holy of holies in your tabernacle, it's, it's bringing these images of where God comes to be present with man and where the blood of the sacrifice, where atonement is made uh, uh, on the most holy place, uh, where uh, the Ark of the Covenant, that's the word I'm looking for, the the propitiation, the, 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 the propitiatory mercy seat, the word propitiation, the, the very place where God reconciles that issue, where he should not be listening to us, he should not care about us, he, he should be offended by us. David is crying out to God and saying, all of my life is dependent on whether you listen to me and I'm recognizing that I need your work in the innermost sanctuary to make propitiation, to, to satisfy the reality that I'm unholy, to, to, to reconcile me to you. So I'm, I'm actually, as I'm pleading with you, Lord, I'm, I'm pointing you towards what you've provided to draw near to me. Like you've given me this opportunity in and through the work of the sanctuary right there. You've atoned for my sin, so I'm crying out to you and asking you to give me life, to have everything that I think about my entire life be centered around you, and you will do that because of the sacrifice that you've provided in your most holy place. David is beginning this request to God recognizing that God is at the center of everything about our life and knowing that he needs there to be something to reconcile him to God. 
which is exactly what the, the innermost temp sanctuary does, the, the innermost part of the temple. And so he goes on. He goes on to communicate that he wants God to be at the center of all of his actions. Not just the defining moment of his life, but everything he does. And you can see that because he speaks about the wicked who don't consider the Lord. You can see that because he speaks about the wicked who don't consider the work of the Lord, who don't consider what he has to say. Look at verse three. He says, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. They're hypocrites. They're saying something on the outside and they're thinking something differently on the inside. He prays, he says, give to them, the wicked, according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds, Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. He's saying, Lord, see the wicked who are ignoring you. See the wicked who are hypocrites. See the wicked who are working evil and give them what they deserve. Which is like a weighty, I mean, I I, I don't pray that regularly. It's a, uh, he's recognized his need for, for propitiation. He's recognized his need as he points to the, the most holy sanctuary for God to reconcile him. But I think the next sentence really communicates why, he is, why he's prayed this way. It gives us in verse five, he says, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. He desperately wants the glory and majesty of God to be magnified by others. God is at the center of even his prayer for the wicked to receive what they deserve. He's like, Lord, I'm praying that you act. I'm praying that you bring justice because they do not regard what you do. He is des- he's deeply offended that others would not recognize that God is working and acting in the world and would ignore that. Even as he thinks about what people are doing, even as he thinks about the, the wicked actions or speech or things that are coming out of our mind, at the heart of it, God is at the center of that. He's not looking for... Uh, retribution for his personal offense. He's not looking for God to, to bring a measure of destruction so that there's circumstances in his life that can be resolved. He's praying that God would, would act to give the wicked what they deserve because God has been ignored. God isn't receiving the glory and honor and majesty and recognition that God deserves. I think for David, as he starts this prayer, as he 
pours out his heart and says, Lord, I need you to answer me because you are at the center of everything about my life. If I don't hear from you, I have no life. Lord, I want you to act and bring justice and majesty. I want you to be the center of all of our actions because you're the one that has to receive the glory and honor and majesty. You're the one that, that needs to be glorified and I'm praying and I'm asking you to act so that other people would consider the works of, of your hand. So that other people would think and act in a way that would put you at the center of everything because that's how you've designed us to be. Because you're the one that needs to receive all this glory and honor and majesty. These are little snippets when we kind of jump into a short poem like this. But I think it reminded me of what James essentially encouraged the church to do. And we just got through that in James chapter one, verses 25. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Like in the same sense, James is saying, we can hear what God has said. We can uh, recognize things, but is it, is it making a difference? In, is our actions, as we put God at the center, actually making a difference in what we do? Do we, as the Psalm would say in verse five, regard the works of the Lord? Do we regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hand? One of the kind of convicting things when I read this psalm is David is very passionate about others acting, speaking, doing things in a way that recognize who God is because he wants God to be glorified. As David is praying and saying, Lord, Everything I do is meaningless apart from you answering and drawing near to me. You're at the center of all these things. One of the convicting things is just to think about what is at the center of my actions? Like what am I obsessed with that affects how I think, how I act? When I pray and ask God for things, Am I concerned with his glory? Do I want others to acknowledge his works? I think it's, you know, we say this a lot. I think it's wonderful to pray and ask the Lord for help. And there are Psalms that are specifically asking for God to step in and intervene in a very particular situation. So we have precedent where, where we can go to the Lord and he hears us and he loves us and he cares about us and we can bring our circumstances and our concerns and, and our things and offer it up to him and, and ask for him to intercede and to, to do all of these things. But can we, like David, say, Lord, if you don't draw near and listen and hear me, I have nothing without you. Are we willing to like look at all of our desires and our wants and our concerns and say, Lord, if, if others aren't acting in a way that glorifies and honors you, that bothers me. 
at the deepest level, our hearts centered around the idea that God should be at the very center of everything we do. The good news is that we have a greater David. We have Jesus who walked this earth and oriented everything he did, act, thought, felt around who God is and what he's doing. Like he's united himself to us. The song we sang, uh, uh, your, my holiness is Christ in me. Like the, the one who oriented his entire life around God is and what he's doing, that's the one who has been united to us and that's what God is working to shape and mold us and transform us. To make it so that when we pray, we cry out to God and say, Lord, I need you more than anything else. Lord, I want you, I want the actions of the people around me to acknowledge who you are and glorify you because that's what you deserve. I, I want to plead for you to act and step in because I want you to receive the credit for what you're doing in the world. Jesus was obsessed with that and he's united to us and he's shaping us and he's moving us and he's helping us pray like that and go to the Lord and make God the center of everything. I think that David gives us some reasons in the, the second half of the psalm. He gives us some reasons that God is at the center because he's trustworthy. God's trustworthy and he's invested in you. He's trustworthy and he's invested in you. Look at what he says in verse six. Blessed be the Lord for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. Which is kind of contrasting what's being said before. He says the, the evil that's in their hearts. And so there's like a, there's sort of a play between those who ignore what God is doing and deep down in their hearts then because they're ignoring what God is doing, they're just, it's contrasting with David who is over here saying God is listening to what I'm saying he's, he's present with me and so the deepest part of who I am is where I place my trust in my heart in the very depths of my soul is where I've placed my trust and he and it says and I am helped like when I place my heart and soul in the person of God in the in in who he is what he's communicated it's just matter of fact statement. He says, I am helped. I am helped. He's communicating that to us. It's uh, interesting in David's life. You know, if you know anything about the story, he came from nothing as a shepherd and was risen up to be one of the most prominent kings in all of Israel. It's like, you know, kind of like a, a, a suffering to glory pattern that you see all over scripture. And it's, I was thinking, I was wondering as I kind of was just looking at some commentators and it was almost like, we don't know exactly because there's an exact date, but it was probably 15 years between when Samuel anointed him and was like, hey, you're going to be king. And it was like 
15 years later when that finally went down. And during those 15 years, it was a rough go. The current king tried to kill him. He had to hide out in the enemy's basically country for a little while. Like the, all of Israel loved him, despised him, and everything in between. He, he was just, there was not this like smooth, and I think about how long that is, and I'm like, that's like, like if God showed up and promised you that he would do something, and then you waited another 15 years, that would be difficult for me. And, I, and just like to give a, a, a Mayus church in any form hasn't even existed that long. Like the, the entire time since its incorporation, you know? Like, so when I think back on some of the things that we've been through, or I think back on, on just elements of my life where I'm wondering what God is up to, and I'm struggling to trust him, David is crying out to God to hear him. David is saying, Lord, I don't have anything without you, but my heart is set. My heart is determined. Everything inside of me knows that you are trustworthy and you will help me. He's trying to encourage us to put God at the center because he's trustworthy. We can look at his word. We can look at his, everything he's done across all of time and say, I can bank everything on having God at the center because he's the only thing in the world that is utterly and completely trustworthy. Makes sense that he would then proclaim and say, Blessed be the Lord. I think the result of the Lord working faith, the result of the Holy Spirit giving us a real sense that God is trustworthy, like genuinely banking on his word being true, when we, when we really come to grips with that, the natural response is right here. My heart exalts, and with my song, I give thanks to him. Worship. We worship. We, we recognize that of everything that's changing around us, of all the unstable things that are in our lives, when we can rest our hearts deep in trusting the promises of God and the person of God and what he's doing for us, we can respond with worship. We can praise him. I think it's, he goes on. He says, the Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. There is, uh, let's read the last verse and we'll kind of, he says, oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The Lord, our God, is at the center because he's trustworthy, but he's also at the center because he's invested in you. There's a handful of interesting things going on. In verse nine, he says, bless your heritage. It's like your inheritance. God's people are communicated as his inheritance. And it, 
says, the Lord is the strength of his people and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. The anointed is kind of where we get the word Messiah from. It's David would be the anointed one that God has rescued. But at the same time, there's sort of like this parallel idea that he's the strength of his people. There's both, there's both the, the benefits for the people and the benefits for the anointed. And we kind of see, we, we don't see how all of that plays out till we get into the New Testament. And, and the anointed one, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself, who, is, who, is, who cries out on the cross, who God pours out the wrath, who is, who is buried in the grave, isn't left to see corruption, but is risen up on the third day in glory and majesty. And in the, in the same way, he can say he is the saving refuge of his anointing. Like God is the one who has resurrected Jesus Christ and has sat him on the throne for, to, to live and reign for all eternity. And at the same time, the Lord is the strength of his people because you and I, in a way that was not foreseen, it even was a, a hard for the disciples to kind of wrap their head around, this idea that you and I have also died with him and are resurrected in Christ. You and I are also united to him so that God can be invested in you. You have the, you have the righteousness of the anointed one who has died and risen again indwelling in you so that God can say with a straight face, you are my heritage. I've done, the anointed has been rescued. I've done all of these things and risen and seated on the throne and, and poured out my spirit so that my beloved son could be united to you so that I could say, you are the ones I'm invested in. You are the ones that I care for. God should be at the center, not just because he's trustworthy, which he is, is because he's invested so much in you. He's given you his only son. He's imputed his righteousness to you. I think if we believe that, if we understand just like a tiny bit of who God is and what he's done for you, how trustworthy he is, how much he's rooted in your life in seeing every little detail of what's going on all the way through to the final resurrection. I think our response would be like David's with my song, I give thanks to him. We should worship. We should praise him. We should thank him. We should put God at the center of all of the things we're doing because of everything that he's done for us and is doing for us. Amen. So what does that look like? You know, so I feel like that's like one of those Christian-y things, you know, like God has given me his son, he's invested in me, he's trustworthy, praise the Lord, you know, which is a good response. And then now let's go to lunch and see what the rest of the day looks like. How do we put God at the center of all the things we're doing? How do we respond in a way that's worshipful 
regularly in our life. Because it's one thing for him to be at the center as we're talking about it and sitting here and opening our Bibles and, and praising him. And I think it's a, I'm thankful that God interrupts our week and brings us together and gives us an opportunity to reorient our thoughts and put him at the center. Like we, we desperately need that. But what does it look like to respond in worship when you see God is at the center when you recognize that he's trustworthy, when you, when you know that he's invested in you, what does that look like? I would encourage you to make singing a regular part of your week, which I can't sing very well. It's super awkward for me. Yesterday morning with Abraham and Jesse, we sang one of my favorite hymns together and it was three dudes and it felt weird. <laughs> but also, Abraham was humming it like the rest of the day, you know? Like, we're, it, it, even that one song that we sang together kind of oriented our mind to make God at the center of the things we were doing the rest of the day. Like, it stuck with you for a little bit. I feel like the three of us can sing a song, you know? Just, you can do that at home. <laughs> Take a moment and say, let's recognize what God has done and praise him for it. Maybe an easier one, uh, a little less awkward, is make a practice of thanking him for what he's done. Like I have to write that down in my journal because I'm a space case. And if I like write, it's me to think about what it is. And sometimes when I'm not in a good mood, I don't feel like God is listening or I'm struggling to make him the center of things. It's a good practice for me to just sit down and write out some of the things I've been really thankful for. And then you get like a list of that and you don't have to write it down. You can just like, I have a page in my journal where I'm like, oh man, this is good to read. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, you did do that. I forgot already. It's just, it's a good, it's just a good practice Paul encourage us in everything to give thanks. Like, what, what does that look like? Is that, thank you, Lord, when I pull up to the grocery store and I get a closed parking spot? You know, like, I, yeah, you can thank him for that. But if that's like a flippant part of our day and it's not something rooted in, we're not like putting God at the center of things. And we're not orienting all the stuff going on, the weighty things that are going on in our life and looking at what he's doing and accomplishing and saying, making a practice to write something down, to go to a neighbor or to talk to a spouse and say, let me just let you know about the things I'm so thankful for that the Lord has been doing. If we do that regularly, if we make that a, a practice in our lives, it orients us to put God at the center. It orients us to put God at the center. I think it's, you know, David is, is pleading with God to bring a measure of justice in this psalm. And he says, I'm doing that because they're ignoring you, God. Like he's, he's, it's hard for him to see others who would ignore God. And I wonder if we see so many people ignore God that we're like callous to it. Because I don't necessarily feel that way like when I'm 
pleading with the Lord to work or I'm asking, I mean, even just like kind of, you know, when we pray, we pray like kingdom realities when we get together, like larger things that we want to see God at work. We ask God to draw people in and to, to have them see the glory and majesty of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And those are good things to pray for and we should keep praying for those things. But maybe it's just asking the Lord to say, Lord, stir my heart so that when I see others ignoring you, that bothers me a little bit. Not because I'm offended, not because I want things to go my way, because God, but you should be acknowledged. You're so great. You're so gracious. You're so glorious. You've communicated so many things to us about your son and people are just ignoring it. Like help me be bothered by that. Help my motivation to be more people know you and see what you're doing. I think that's what it looks like to respond in worship when we put God at the center. We're more concerned with others recognizing him than we are with problems or things going on in our lives because he should be at the center of everything. A couple a couple things we can say if we're, if we're gonna put God at the center because he's trustworthy, because he's invested in you. Another way to maybe approach it is say, what does that not look like? Like if, if all of our life, well, you know, I'm gonna back up from that statement. I was thinking about when we were singing the song, the very first song we we're talking about the presence of God, like being welcome. We're talking about him being here. And I was thinking about all the other, you know, like when you, we show up, we have a little countdown and we start singing and we start singing and then all of a sudden your mind just like goes into the other things. <laughs> and maybe that's just me. And I was trying to reel myself back in and be like, like, Lord, this, Lord, that, help me here, you know, whatever. And I, I was like, if, if what I'm singing is true, that God is present with us as we worship, I don't need anything else right now. Like if God is genuinely here in this space in a way that you and I can worship him and have a sense of him and enjoy him and I'm thinking about anything else that I need or want, I'm completely missing the boat. I don't, that's all that I need. That is my life is fulfilled in the presence and beauty and glory of God. And if I'm here worshiping with the, with the real presence of God and I'm thinking about other things I need, I don't think I'm putting him at the center. And that's convicting. That whatever it is I'm thinking about is at the center. And it could be a great and wonderful thing, you know? Like, God's given us a lot of good things in the world to consider and think about. It could be something as trivial as lunch, whatever. But I think when we, when we see that God is at the center because he's trustworthy, because he's invested in us, and we're in his presence, and we're, our hearts are concerned about other things, it's just revealing that he isn't really at the center. Another thing that kind of, kind of a negative thing, and then we'll end with some positive stuff because that's what 
makes me uncomfortable to end with negative things. Um, when, we com- when we complain, like, does that just show that God is not at the center of everything we're doing? If the right response to God being at the center is worship and praise and thanksgiving, our complaining is just showing us that God is not at the center. And I think it's just, we all like, you know, everybody likes to complain. So when someone complains to me, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm in on this. <laughs> like, so if as a Christian community, as, as, as people who believe that God is invested in us and faithful and trustworthy and, and someone we can just rely on and lean on and, and, and our life is wrapped up in his presence, how do we help each other do that less? <laughs> like we obviously want to care and be an ear and, and listen when someone is struggling. There's not, I'm not saying, you know, we got to pretend like everything is always great. That's not, that's not real. But sometimes I think we just like, we have to consider our own hearts and say, is the, am I pleading with the Lord to help and using the body and people to encourage me? Or am I just like looking for an outlet to whine about what God is doing? Just ask ourselves that question. And, and how can I just confess that and say, man, I'm just not satisfied with this, how the Lord is working right here in my life right now. And I think when we do that, it's a really good opportunity to ask the Lord to change what's in our hearts and remind ourselves that he's trustworthy. <laughs> to remind ourselves that he's, given us his son. So he's not stingy. He's not unloving. He's not considerate of you. He's deeply invested in you, cares for you, loves you. It is wisely and graciously and like a, like a, a loving parent working in your life to draw you up more into his presence. I think the, when, when David writes this prayer, when he put together this psalm, it's a little picture. It's a little picture of what it looks like when we pray and we come to the Lord and we consider him to put God at the center of everything. And the, the very first section when he cries out to God and says, as I raise my hands towards your holy sanctuary is, is the encouragement to you and I to say when we cry to the Lord we're not coming to him and saying look what I did God we're not coming to him saying like I'm here, I've done all the right things so now you can thank me and be invested in, like, like I'm earning this favor with you somehow so that you can, so that we can be on the good terms. We're, no, we're not doing that. We're recognizing our need for him to step in and help us and we're saying, look what has happened on the holy of holies when Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross and risen up for newness of life. The veil is torn open and Hebrew says, now we can step into the throne of grace with all of this confidence because of everything that Jesus has done. 
no matter where you've fallen short, no matter what you've put at the center, you can come to God and say, because of everything that Jesus has done, because of how perfect he is, because how he has centered his entire life around you at every single moment, I can come to you, Lord, with all the confidence in the world and say, help me be more like him. Help me draw nearer to you. And the Lord looks at you and says, yes, that's what I want to do. That's how I'm going to work in your life. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to be present with you because of everything that I've done for you on the cross. So even if David's psalm is a little convicting because we don't often put God at the center, we recognize that and point to that innermost sanctuary and say, look what Jesus has done. Hear me, help me, and he will. And he will. Because he's trustworthy and he's deeply invested in you. Let's thank him for that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that we can man, just recognize that we don't put you at the center of things. And your spirit stirs our hearts to be convicted of that. Lord, if, if we are feeling guilty because we've been thinking of anything less than your glory and your majesty, even that feeling is the work of your spirit so that we could humble ourselves and come to the cross and say, this is why you've given us your son. Lord, I thank you that you are so invested in your people. Lord, I thank you that even as we worship together in this room, we're your heritage. We're, we're what you look forward to. We're what you've promised your son to raise up people who are made and shaped in, in, into your exact image, Lord, so that we could worship and glorify you and enjoy you forever. I pray that that would be an encouragement to us. And I pray that as we fall short and as we stumble and as we make other things at the center of our lives, I pray that that would encourage us to just come to you and ask you for help because you are our good father who loves us. And you're helping us make you the center of everything, Lord, because that's where true joy and true peace are really found. Help us with that today and this week. In your name I pray, amen.